Hey y'all, good evening, glad you guys are here, and I got a lot that I want to say to you guys this evening. Let me start off just by saying, we thought strong, it's kind of a good excuse to say, listen, if you come in here and you hate singing and you feel awkward singing and maybe you don't know the songs and you're like, I just kind of want to stand here and not sing, that is okay. And if you're the person that wants to throw up your hands and dance in the aisles, that is okay. And if you're the person that wants to just kind of stand there and like not move at all and sing, that's okay. Because uh, this is for everybody. And none of those options is more or less spiritual or mature than the others. It's a personal preference. And so um, let me just encourage you with that. I don't want this singing to be an awkward time uh, for you guys. Uh, another thing that I want to say, I got some slides today. We'll see if I can manage the tech thing with the podcast and the the, the stuff and the thing. We'll see if I can make it happen. Um, okay, welcome to RUF. Uh, like, this is a chance for you to hopefully breathe out and be yourself and hear from God's Word. So I'm glad you're here. My name is Willis. I'm the campus minister. Uh, I, I love being here. I love you guys, and I'm excited about what we're doing tonight. And um, man, this week has been a doozy for me. Anybody else feel like this week was just kind of a lot for you, a lot. It was a lot for me. It was awesome, but so busy. And uh, but we made it. We made it here, guys. So good job, good job. And um, the one thing I want you to know about me that I say every week is that I'm not a good person, but Jesus loves me, and He loves you, and that changes everything. It really does. And so now we're going to look at how that changes our concept of virtue, our concept of virtue. What it means to be virtuous. So, the ancient Greeks listed these four core virtues that they considered most important. Prudence, fortitude, justice, temperance. In the film Gladiator, anybody? Do we love Gladiator? Yeah, we love Gladiator. That's a great movie. Always will be. Maximus Meridius exhorts his troops to just two virtues. Anybody? Anybody? What the, who knows what they are? Strength and honor. Yes, just two. Strength and honor. That was enough for the Roman soldiers. The mission statement of WNL lists nine virtues, nine character traits it wants you to grow in. It says thoughtfulness, honor, integrity, civility, lifelong learner, achievement-minded, leadership, service, and citizenship. It's a good list. Google says that Gen Z, your generation, most highly values the following virtues. Diversity and inclusion, authenticity, balance, collaboration, independence, and community. It's a good list. What would be on your list for you personally? What are the virtues that you want to grow in? What are the virtues that are most important in someone that you might want to date? Like, what do you want them to be like? And what kind of life do you hope flows from those virtues? Like, if I am virtuous in these ways, my life will look different. How? So Jesus begins his greatest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, by sharing with us the most valued virtues in the kingdom of God. The ones that he considers indispensable to the contours of his culture and essential for the citizens of his kingdom. He doesn't just give us a list of virtues, but he also tells us how we obtain those virtues and what our lives will look like practically as we live them out. So we're going to read this passage. It's up on the screen behind me. 
It's on your handout. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure and heartful, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is God's word. I think it's true, and it's given to us in love. And this passage is often called the Beatitudes because of the Latin word for blessed. The Beatitudes, you might have heard that before. And you need to know that the, the Beatitudes, they actually have a literary structure that's not immediately obvious. As we just, It looks kind of like a list, just like... But it's not actually in the literary structure in the Greek quite like that. And I'm going to put it on the screen so that it's, hopefully you can kind of see. Ooh, it worked. Okay, great. <laughs> so don't, don't think I'm too much of a nerd because this is a typical chiastic structure in Greek literary prose. Okay. <laughs> but if you are into like the classic literature of Greek writing, or if you're into the Bible, you've heard of a chiastic structure. And the way it basically works is it's a list of things, but it's kind of a, um, aligned in symmetry. So thing one, thing two, and thing three, and then there's a middle thing. And it could be like four, five, six. It could be almost any number. But there's the same number on the top and the bottom. And then in the middle is the thing that's being emphasized. And there's markers, tags in the text that kind of clue you into like, oh, this is a chiasm. This is a chiastic structure. I don't have time to get into all of those. If you want to like come and hear about that or have other questions about the sermon, I'm going to be in Season's Yield tomorrow at 8.30. Okay? So come hang out and we can talk about whatever or Greek literary prose, whatever. That's fine. All right. So the thing to notice is the middle thing is the thing emphasized and it can be emphasized in different ways, but it's like the most important in a way. And the other thing to note is that these things, the second things, they correspond to the first one. It's like thing 1A and thing 1B. They kind of go together. Sometimes they reference each other or they inform each other or they talk about the same thing. Okay. So to plug our passage into that, we see poor in spirit, mourning, meekness. And then what's emphasized? Hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be satisfied. And then we'll see in a second how merciful, pure in heart, and peacemaker, they kind of correspond to those first three. That's the structure of the passage. I think that's cool. Okay, so we're going to kind of move through this. Which virtues are the best? How do we get them? And what kind of life do they lead to? That's how we're moving through our passage. Hopefully that's helpful. I'm going to see if I can like take it to a black. I'm just going to take it to the passage. There we go. All right. As you can see, the questions I think are most important for us tonight are which virtues are best? How do I get them? And what kind of life do they lead to? So that's where we're going. Points one, two, and three. Which virtues are best? How do I get them? What kind of life do they lead to? So, important questions. Let's pray. Father, after that long introduction, we pray that you will take this passage, which is probably familiar to many of us. Um, I think it's hard to see the depth that is in this passage on our own, just reading through it. 
Um, I celebrate how you've shown me so many new things about this passage that I didn't know until I studied it this week. And so I pray that you would open up our eyes to that and help us see you in new and beautiful ways tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. So, point one, which virtues are best? What's the virtues that are best that we should want the most? The first three Beatitudes, poor in spirit, mourn, meek, describe the disciples, the true disciple in God's kingdom. They describe the disciples' knowledge of the true need of their eternal person before God. That's what they do. The first three, they tell you, this is the interior life of the true disciple. They're aware of their need before God. Little side note is we're going to focus on the, the, just the first part of each of these three for now. We're going to come to the second part, like what comes after the comma, in a second. A lot of notes, sorry, but we're focusing on the first half for now. So, blessed are the poor in spirit. Poverty of spirit isn't low self-esteem. It's not somehow having a deficient quality of soul. Throughout the Bible, we see that the kind of poverty of spirit that God values is the kind that comes through awareness that we, on our own, are morally bankrupt. When we have a real assessment of ourselves. So you go to the ATM, and you punch in your little numbers or whatever, swipe your card, and you're trying to make withdrawal, and it says zero dollars. Not a good feeling. Or you punch in your numbers, put in your card, whatever, and you see an amount that is less than this month's rent, and you're like, what am I going to do? That's what it's talking about. Morally, we look into our hearts, and by the Holy Spirit, we can see like what's really there. Moral bankruptcy before God. That we have zero morality dollars to offer Him. And realizing that leads to the next virtue, which is mourning over sin. Not just any mourning, but specifically mourning over sin. It says, blessed are those who mourn. So we mourn when we see our sin and don't treat it lightly, but are brokenhearted over it. This is the kind of mourning the, the, the Bible values. There's lots of mourning in the world. You, I'm sure we've all mourned at least one or two different ways this week and a hundred ways in our lives. And God is compassionate towards all mourning, but the kind of mourning that has a specific blessing attendant to it from God is this kind of mourning, mourning over our sin. And this mourning leads to the next virtue, meekness. Meekness is not being passive and weak. That word meek is kind of like, I don't know, it sounds weak to me. We don't really like that word. But when the Bible talks about it, it's not talking about being passive and weak, but it's you can be a very strong person, a very confident person, and be meek when... You use your strength not for the building up of yourself, but for the building up of others. When you're not self-absorbed, but absorbed with the good of others and with God himself. That's meekness. So it's about true humility. Thinking not of ourselves, but thinking of others. Humble as we use our God-given power, agency, and giftedness. That's meekness. And Jesus lists these three virtues first. He's emphasizing them. They're the best. And it's interesting to note that the first one speaks to relationship with God. The second one speaks to relationship with self. The third one speaks to relationship with others. Jesus is saying that the most important virtue of his kingdom culture is that every relationship you have is transformed as you see your true spiritual condition, your true moral condition before him. So what does this look like in life? It looks like taking your sin seriously. Your sin cuts you deep. When you see that you've messed up, when you see that you disobeyed God's law, like that matters to you. You don't minimize it or excuse it. It bothers you. And it means that your pride, envy, 
gossip, lust, anger, deceit, these sins that we typically are pretty permissive over and think like, okay, it's not good, but it's like not a huge deal. It means that we start to believe that those sins actually make us just as morally bankrupt as the sins of murder, adultery, being a corrupt politician, you know, being a thief. Meekness grows as you notice that you're spending less time thinking about yourself and more time thinking about God and others. Not like thinking about, like you're spending all your time thinking about God, but just like you think about yourself less. He grows, he becomes more important, others become more important, and you spend less time like obsessing over yourself and how you look to people. Some of this might seem like kind of a downer. Like, okay, these first three ones, poor in spirit, mourning, meekness, not super positive, right? And the emphasis, though, is that those who are these things are blessed, are richly blessed. Look how they're blessed. Look at what after, comes after the commas. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They shall be comforted. They shall inherit the earth. Inherit the earth? Like the earth? Inherit that? That's a pretty big blessing. What is that talking about? Point two digs in here. As we go to point two, how do we get these virtues? How God meets his disciples' needs. So it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Who is it that hungers and thirsts for righteousness? Who does that? It's those who don't have righteousness and who know they don't have it. It's the people who have the first three virtues. They know they're morally bankrupt. And so they hunger for righteousness. Yet they crave the righteousness that God can give. And it says they'll be satisfied. How? Romans 3, if you remember last semester, Romans 3, 21-22 says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, meaning apart from like trying really hard to be a good person, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So the poor in spirit crave righteousness and are given the righteousness they crave by God through faith in the work of Jesus Christ and His atoning death and victorious resurrection. And notice this, the way we get righteousness is also the way we get the blessings of the first three Beatitudes. Because you've been made righteous in Christ, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Because you have the love of God in Christ, you shall be comforted. Because you're co-heirs with Christ, you will inherit the earth. Because it belongs to Him. And your co-heirs with Him, so what belongs to Him comes to you. That's the whole point. In knowing that you're unrighteous, you're qualified to be satisfied with the righteousness of Christ given to you. So the point that I want to drive home on all this, this first little section here, is that the core reality of being a true Christian, the core component of being a disciple in God's kingdom is craving righteousness, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So are you desperately hungry to be righteous? to be right with God, to stand before Him without shame or fear, to live uprightly in the world, to obey all of God's laws and commands, to have a heart that loves what He loves and hates what He hates, to walk through the world with the eyes of Jesus and treat people like Jesus treated them. If that gets you excited, it's because God has given you a craving to be righteous. And He's in the process of satisfying that craving and he's promised to one day fully satisfy you by making you perfectly righteous in life, like in real life, by making you, 
giving you in reality, in practice, what you have already in Christ. Righteousness. So what Philippians 1.6 is talking about. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis said, oh wait, hold on. I'll go to that in a second. When it talks about that good work, he who began a good work in you, what is the good work? What's God doing? Romans 8.29, those whom God foreknew, he also predestined for what? To be conformed to the image of his son, to be made like Jesus, to have the righteousness of Jesus. That's the point. Okay, now C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis said, The church exists for nothing else but to draw men unto Christ and make them little Christs. If becoming as much like Jesus as possible is not compelling for you, if that's like not really like, I don't, that doesn't, that's a little weird, I kind of have a different agenda for my life, the way of Jesus is not going to make sense to you. Christianity is not going to make sense to you. So let's just not pretend. Let's just admit that like you don't want to be like Jesus. You have something else going on. And that's okay, right? We can talk about that. We can explore. We can compare. That's great. This is just saying those who are true disciples of Jesus, they want to be like him. If in gazing upon Jesus in the scriptures, you find an ache in your soul longing to be like him, to be with him, Jesus said, you're going to be satisfied. You're going to get that. You're going to get what you want. You'll become like him. So, Lord, give us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Amen. Last point. Last point. What kind of life is produced when we acknowledge our own moral bankruptcy and hunger and thirst for righteousness and are made righteous by God? What kind of life does that look like? Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so remember the chiastic structure, right, that we talked about? How the first three things kind of could uh, correspond to the last three things? We're going to look at that in detail now. Okay, they're connected here. As God builds us up in the righteousness of Christ, he takes each part of our humility, all three. Oh, that's unfortunate. This is a TV line, not a PDF line. You can still read it. Okay, anyway. Uh, so he takes each part of our humility, our awareness of our moral bankruptcy, and he transforms it into a particular kind of righteousness. It's kind of cool. So, the poor in spirit become merciful. Just like Jesus said, those who have been shown mercy, they show others mercy. He who knows how much he's been forgiven forgives others to the same magnitude. Second one, those who mourn become pure in heart. As the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, he also strengthens us to root out that sin, to fight against sin, to resist temptation, to grow in holiness so that our hearts become, over time, more and more pure, less and less divided, more fully devoted to God. And last one, those who are meek, they become peacemakers. The meek one, the humble one, is more able to make peace first because she causes less offense to other people in the first place, right? She's just less prideful, less arrogant. And... She's able, with her humble love of other people, to calm the conflict of others. They make become the peacemaker. We've all seen this. So those of whom this is true are promised rich blessings. They shall receive mercy, they will see God, and they will be called sons of God. I saved the best for last because Jesus did too. There's like a kind of an outlier to the chiastic structure. Stands alone, this last one. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Rejoice and be glad. Okay. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So another likely result for most people around the world and a lot of us, perhaps in the future, perhaps right now in life, is persecution. As you begin, as you become more righteous, as you become more poor in spirit, mournful, meek, merciful, pure in heart, peacemaker, you will face opposition. That's countercultural. You'll face persecution. The specific things that it mentions is like people lying about you, reviling you in their hearts or in their words. That's just a harsh reality. That's just true of being a Christian. So it's not really health and wealth. It's kind of pain and suffering (laughs) and heaven. So Jordan Peterson asks, if you're not going to be rewarded for your virtues and instead you're going to be punished for them, then what's your motivation to continue? It's a good question, JP. What is the motivation? You know? Jesus invites you to hold as your motivation the kingdom of heaven. That's what he says. There's the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So normally we go from suffering to like, let's put an end to the suffering. Let's escape it or find some kind of way to like calm things down and stop the suffering. He says, that's actually not the path of the disciple. It's suffering, endurance in the midst of suffering, while looking to what comes in the future, which is the kingdom of heaven that Jesus brings to you. So that's part of faith, right? It's not just the faith that Jesus has done this for you and that his work is effective for you. It's faith that he's bringing for you the kingdom and that one day it will land on this earth and you will live in it, eternal life with God. And that gives you strength, something to look forward to and motivate you in the midst of hard times right now to where you can even face persecution with gladness and rejoicing. It's like Jocko Willink says, when hard times come, you're like, good, good, chance to grow. It's what it's kind of talking about here. You can see it and go, yes, yes, a chance to be like my Savior, a chance to be like the prophets of old, like this is the heritage of the people of God. So tonight, more than anything, I want you to walk away with a vision for these three virtues burning in your chest, which frames the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be here for 12 weeks. And if we miss this, the rest of it's going to make no sense. So come back to this. Come back and read the Beatitudes in your weekly devotions or whatever because this is really important for the kingdom of God. These are his virtues. Poor in spirit as you mourn your sin. Hunger to be righteous as Jesus is righteous and confident in his work alone to make you righteous and extending that out towards other people as merciful peacemakers. So, amen. Build these in us, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, as we, as we look at these virtues... Uh, I mean, Lord, we, we're not these things. We're not meek. We, we don't really mourn our sin, not nearly as much as we should. Um, often we're very prideful and not poor in spirit. And we crave, Lord, if there's even a spark of craving in our hearts for righteousness, Lord, fan it into flame and feed us with what we need. Give us the righteousness of Christ that we can embody these beatitudes, these blessings these virtues more and experience your blessings more. Lord, as we go about our weeks for the rest of um, the week, I pray that you would help us to be merciful, to be peacemakers, to be humble, to think about ourselves less and others more. Yeah, Lord, we want to see that. We want to see this, this campus change through our lives. So we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.